Hi, uh, Dr. Hello. Lee. How are you? Oh, hi, I'm Lee. Can you hear me? Yes, I can hear you. Can you hear me? Yeah, yeah, perfect. Hi, nice oh, to meet you. Hear you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I also put your uh, presentation on top. So people should be able to access it if you want to check how people see your presentation. Uh, feel okay, free. Yeah. Um, so if you click on it, then it says go to link and uh, then your presentation should pop up. So it's not the screen share. So it's really good that you have slide numbers on the slides. So if you could refer to them while you when you switch to the next slide, that's really helpful for the audience. So uh, I can switch slides. I'm sorry. Somehow, somehow my app kicked me out. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm glad. Okay, <laughs> it should be working hopefully. I was inviting people in and then I got kicked out. I don't know. Okay. So people will move up slides by themselves, right? Yes, exactly. Me. Yeah. Okay. 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 Got it. Yeah, I'm not familiar with this clubhouse, so let's. <laughs> I'll try to. Yeah, it's 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 pretty easy in general, and I'll be uh, here to moderate and let people um read people's questions that they put in the uh, chat or let people on the stage if they wanna uh, ask a question in person. So um yeah, it should it should be fine. <laughs> Thank you. Okay. 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 That's great. Yeah, and thank you so much for doing this, for coming here, taking the time to do this. We really appreciate it. It's my pleasure. Yes, it's uh, great to share my uh, my students' work. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's so interesting your work. So I think it will lead to a lot of new treatments. So it's really interesting. So what's the audience profile? Who, who will be in the talk? Oh, so it will be me mostly and um, Victoria. And then um, people will be in the audience. If they choose, they can come to the stage. But many times people either message me question or put them in the chat. So I will read them or ask for people the questions. Um, yeah, so it so I will in um I will like give a you know a short summary about some information where you're working and so on and then usually we ask like a few a couple of interview questions before you start to get to know you a little bit better for like the general audience and then usually uh it's time for you to present your work and then we'll do like we'll have some time for questions. If that's okay with you. This is actually no problem. So what kind of background usually is uh this audience? Is biologist? Oh, it's or... very mixed. Like uh Dr. Schaff, a few are medical doctors, then um we have yeah, uh, people from different scientific backgrounds, um biology, mm -hmm. chemistry, also um people um, from engineering or AI, um, 
background and um and then you know we have people that will just be interested to know to learn about what's going on in science right now it's very mixed and since it's impossible to find a time that works for everyone because we are really like uh, our members are really around the world um truly so so that's why we record it and then many people go and listen to the recording and what is good about the recording here on Clubhouse is that, for example, the link to the slides and also the chat is still available for people to click on and to access. So it's kind of almost the same experience, except they cannot, you know, post a question or ask a question. That's okay. the only difference. Okay. Hi, Kyle. How are you? Uh, meet Kyle. Meet uh, Dr. Lee. How are you? Oh, hi. I'm Lee. Yeah, I came up here just to show you that people will kind of raise hands and, and come up here and interact. And I just wanted to say thank you for your time and energy uh, presenting your work. Thank you. Thanks. It's my pleasure. Yeah, we'll start in around two minutes. In the meantime, I'll share on Twitter that we are about to start. Um, and yeah, everyone that's here, feel free to share the room, invite people in that are interested. We, uh, yeah, we don't have any <laughs> uh, limits on who is allowed to come here. So, and um, yeah, we're looking forward to the talk. And in the meantime, I put the paper link in the chat. Uh, if people want to also look at the paper, um, and um, yeah, and the slides are on top of the room. I think it's accessible for everyone to view the slides. Uh, please let me know if there are any issues with accessing them, but I think it should be working right now. And uh, yeah, we will start soon. How, how was your day so far? Doctor, wait. So after that, had uh, another meeting one hour ago. Oh, okay, yeah, that's good. Is it very busy before the holidays start for you? For me, the yeah. holidays very busy. Okay, we'll start in around one minute and uh, people will still keep coming in. But since we do like the introduction and a short interview, uh, uh, when the actual presentation starts, I think most people should be arriving by then. And um, so they don't miss any of the, of, or the least amount of the presentation that they miss. So, okay. Let's see. Hi, Manas, Victoria, Richard, Denise, Hayes is here. How are you? Hi, everybody. Hello, doctor. Pleased to meet you. 
Hi, nice to meet you. Okay, I think we can slowly start. And um, yeah, so welcome everyone to Science Society and of course a special welcome uh, to you, Dr. Lei Chi. And I hope I'm saying your name right. <laughs> and um, yeah. so let me introduce you to the audience before we start. Um, Dr. Lei um, did um, did his a bachelor in polymer physics at the University of Science and Technology of China, and then did his master's in computer science at Rutgers University, and then his PhD in chemistry at Rutgers University. And he um, then was for a while as the senior scientist um, at Eidogen um, Inc. And uh, then later he was uh, first the principal scientist at San Diego Supercomputer Center. And then after that, he um, was first associate professor at the computer science uh, Hunter College, CUNY. And uh, now he is a full professor uh, since 2017 and at, um, at the um, Computer Science Hunter College, CUNY, and adjunct professor uh, in, in the neuroscience um, and well Cornell Medical College at Cornell University since 2019. And um, his, um, that so he works with this new technology advances that we that we have to uh, generate unprecedented amount that we have um, unprecedented amounts of biomedical data and uh, by using the new technologies to go through all this data um, he is creating really great new opportunities for uh, developing uh, personalized prevention diagnosis and treatment options for the, of the future which is i think really important and really exciting so welcome uh, and we are so honored to have you here. Thank you. Thanks for this invitation and the nice uh, this introduction from Katerina. So and as I said before we start, I'm sorry to to enter. Um, we usually have like a couple of interview questions, and our first question is about um usually. How did you discover that you wanted to go into science and become a scientist? Was it something you always wanted to do since childhood or was it, you know, did you take a class that was really interesting or maybe a book or some experience in life that happened that kind of made you uh, realize that you have really a passion for science? Thank you. Okay, yeah, that's... Uh... It belongs to a short, short story. Is actually my I, my previous uh, when I at least in before my middle school, my most interesting is the humanity. But my parents are uh, both uh, scientists. Uh, when I was child, the time in China, the political environment is not uh, very nice. So it's, so they don't think it's a uh, it's a safe career in humanity, so they, they just pushed me doing science. But uh, eventually, I got interested and <laughs> started my science career. 
Well, I'm glad your parents did somehow because now we are talking and you're doing such amazing work that mm -hmm. will benefit a lot of people. So I'm glad your parents did and, and that you actually like it. So that's, that's perfect then. It's funny, we had a guest speaker here in the beginning of the week and she said she wanted to be, be rebellious and studied physics. That was the first time I heard that you were, you were rebellious by studying physics. So it's really nice to get to know these stories a little bit. I think that's really interesting. And, um, and then from there, how did you um, get to work in this specific field um, of research that your talk is about today? And is there maybe a background story to this specific project? Was it, you know, easy to get funding for that people believe you know we can do this and you know sometimes there's like uh, interesting background story uh yeah actually when i was trained as a medicinal chemist uh this mainly make this uh peptidal mimetics for uh, opioid receptors this uh, do this purely this uh white lives but uh i was not a good uh, this chemist so I just make waste, didn't make any really act, new compounds is uh, really has uh, this uh, potency. So then at that time when I did my PhD thesis, I realized I can do things I need some uh, design, right? Design better drugs. So not just uh, shake this uh, flask. So I start working on this computer, try to figure out how to design drugs. So after I got my PhD, I worked in pharmaceutical company. Uh, actually, it's computer-based drug design. Then I also I seen frustrations because I think this this all drug design process seems doesn't work very well. So I then uh, actually I fortunately I moved to this uh. San Diego Supercomputer Center. That time is a uh, working PDB protein data bank, and uh, uh, this uh, in this uh, academic environment, actually, I need the quite, I need mention is the Professor Phil Bong. Uh, at that time, he's as associate director. He, although I worked in PDB, never developed this uh, protein data bank. That is where I paid. I I guess many people already act, I know about that. So I. He gave me some freedom to explore uh, this uh, new idea, some drug discovery. At that time, we figured out we think we need some system pharmacology. This uh, not just design drugs, it's one gene, one drug, in some system works. That's uh, started my real, this kind of, uh, uh, all this the current work based on this kind of idea. Wow, that's so great to hear that um, you got the support uh, to do this and and that it then worked out and led to this uh, wonderful work. That's, um, that's a really inspiring story. So I'm glad and um, thank you for sharing that with us today. And uh, yeah, now uh, it's, the as I said, for everyone, the presentation link is on top of the room, please feel free to access it. And uh, Dr. Lee, we are looking forward to it. And the stage is yours. Thank you. Thank you.
So I will start my presentation. The title page is Omics, AI, and uh, System Medicine. So uh, the page one is uh, give some outlines what I will talk. So first, I will just give you some ideas is uh, what we think is uh, modern drug discovery is, uh, is not uh, um, successful for tackle a lot of complex diseases. And what's this problem and how can we solve it? And whether or not our approach has some sign of success. Page two. Uh, so you know this. Uh, although we have a uh, make big uh, advances uh, in this uh, biomedicine, there are still many diseases we still don't have this kind of effective and uh, safe medicines. For example, this Alzheimer's disease. Uh, we expected this uh, patients, AD patients, will double by two thousand forty. Um, so, but we still don't have any medicine can cure this uh, disease. And uh, some other uh, this, uh, diseases, for example, cancer, although uh, we have some uh, this amazing uh, this uh, immune therapy, target therapy, but there's only around 10% patient ever responsive, right? Also, this endpoint is not cure this disease, just extended uh, patient's life three or five years. So, uh, here I also send some other diseases, but uh, all of them have a, all the common is it's not a thing. Many of these diseases is not driven by a single genes, and could be multiple genes. Also, a lot of disease we don't know what exactly this uh, disease causing gene can be used as a drug target. So if we consider what uh, current state of art of drug discovery. Right? It's still mainly based on this one drug, one gene, one disease paradigm. So the idea is that we first uh, found a disease of social genes, and uh, these genes that uh, is encoded proteins should have this deep binding pocket, so it's constructible uh, by these molecules. Always could be if we don't have this, you have to think about some other ways. Could be antibody or something like uh, this kind of uh, other molecule right, uh, to target this drug target. So uh, then we will discover this kind of lead compound and optimize them to make these uh, drugs specifically selective, uh, selectively target these genes. And then we test it in these animals and then have clinic trial in human and finally get to market. So all this process have many problems. For example, uh, for this kind of uh, uh, this uh, drug for targets, so far we only have uh, hundreds of them in humans. So there's 20,000 genes, right? This, uh, this only covers a small portion of this human disease. And consider this uh, lead, uh, optimization. Uh, here with this uh, compound, only target, optimize target a single gene. Actually, there could be a lot of these of targets, and uh, is uh, it, some genes could when you treat it with uh, this, some drugs, it could be reach this drug resistance because of mutations, and uh, also this uh, uh, animal models have different from human, yes, uh, especially from cognetics. So in, in when you test these drugs in a human, it's a patient. Could be have a big difference because it's genetic environment, 
all this uh, epigenetics, all these kind of common factors. So let's make all this uh, drug discovery process, uh, the successful rate is quite low. Uh, slides four. So usually this, uh, this uh, based on this uh, one drug, one gene uh, drug discovery paradigm, the successful rate is usually less than 10%. For certain disease, it's even much less than this. So a lot of this kind of uh, effective therapeutics actually is discovered uh, by, by chance. So uh, most of them actually, this kind of effective drugs is not single targeted drug. Uh, one example is Viagra, so everyone already know it. So there's many other examples. For example, this uh, CTP inhibitors. Uh, at, uh, this uh, starting, you know, it's lower this uh, crossover, right? Re reduce this uh, risk of this heart disease. So uh, because people think this HDL, IFDL is associated with this heart disease. So the idea is if you lower this uh, LDL, increase HDL, could be have a potential to reduce the risk of heart disease. So this CTP protein is basically just this protein convert this uh, HDL to LDL. So the idea is if we inhibit this protein, we could be increase this uh, concentration of HDL and lower this uh, LDL. So that's the idea. It could be another blockbuster to uh, replace the, uh, have a similar effect as the starting. Unfortunately, uh, big farms, Pfizer Merck, invest a billion dollars, spent many years and discover the CTP inhibitors. If you test in sale animals, and uh, even this binding assays, this drug is quite effective to reduce uh, this LDL and increase HDL. But unfortunately, when you test it in humans in clinical trial, this drug uh, is not uh, not reduce the risk of heart disease. Sometimes even cause heart disease. So it is a big failure for this CTP inhibitor. Another example is uh, development is a selective serotonin antagonist. So it's for this uh, mental disorder. So one drug is clozapine, it's quite effective. So it's uh, uh, actually, it's a multi-target drug. It's uh, discovered by chance. It's not really, it's rational design. But uh, it's uh, one of these uh, binding bind, uh, target is a uh, uh, serotonin receptor. So people think we just direct, develop this drug, target serotonin, a uh, receptor could have uh, this kind of uh, effective for mental disorder. Unfortunately, it's also failed. So uh, if you look at this binding profile of Clozapine, it's not just target serotonin receptor, also target many other uh, receptors. So it's a multi-target drug. So in our paper published uh, uh, 2012, we list several other examples. So the basically, so the, uh, the idea is current drug discovery is uh, consider this drug how it works. Uh, it's quite a too simplified picture. If you, for example, if you want to uh, kill some disease, uh, for example, stomach cancer, you just develop drug, it's go to stomach, and even uh, certain is cancers, one type of cancer cell and the target, a single target associated with this type of cancer cell. But uh, actually this drug action is not just in this uh, 
single target, single cell, and types of cell, and uh, just uh, uh, organ. Actually, it's associated with the many other uh, this uh, tissue, many parts of body. So, uh, for example, there's no, uh, you see this uh, microfilming, uh, this uh, NH invest a, a huge amount of money. Now it's, sorry, slide five. Uh, for this uh, project, uh, sequencing all this uh, microfilming in humans, right? Now uh, we have a huge abundant uh, evidences. Slide six, for example, this uh, gut microfilm is associated a lot of diseases, also related uh, a lot of this uh, drug efficacy and the side effects. So really you want to see how drug works. It's not just see how it works in a single part, your organs or tissues in a human body. You need to look at this whole human. Uh, go to the cell level, even you just look at this uh, single uh, tissue is because this uh, cell uh, heterogeneity. So now it's a slide seven. Uh, for example, if you want to kill uh, this, uh, can cancer cells, so this cancer cell actually is uh, uh, have a lot of varieties. If you only kill one type of cancer cell, other cancer cell could be gain this uh, uh, this uh, evolutionary advantage and cause this drug resistance and uh, some other this, uh, metastasis. So uh, you need to take think about all type of cells at the same time, right? To really uh, kill the cancer. Slide eight. Even you think about this kind of uh, uh, single cells, if you just uh, uh, want to kill a single cancer cell, if you only target one single uh, gene many times, it could be filled, for example, in cancer. Uh, it's uh, skin cancer, it's, uh, we know it's uh, associated with the mutations of the work. Uh, Mike kin uh, B uh, uh, kinase, so you can develop this uh, BROP inhibitor, right? So, uh, but uh, this cancer will gain this, uh, uh, this uh, resistance and uh, have this uh, KROS, this overexpressed. So then this, this cancer will be still alive. And uh, then you'll think about, oh, we can uh, inhibit another gene, EGFR is the upstream of this uh, pathway, right? Then if it's a uh, KROS, it's uh, overactive, it still can inhibit. But cancer is smart enough to have, have another pathway to uh, get around this original SOS to KROS, having another uh, pathway to KROS. So then we can, we, then we just inhibit both KROS and BROS, right? So then it's all pathway uh, will be uh, inhibited. But cancer can use another uh, pathway, the Jack dark pathway, to still keep alive. So this uh, because it's evolution and this diversity of the biological system and this modularity, uh, robustness. So if you only target one single target, in many cases, it's very uh, inefficient for this uh, systematic diseases. So just summary, this kind of drug effect, you really want to make drug works. 
you need to take this whole human body as a whole and think about as a system. Think about all these kind of uh, factors uh, within a cell. Consider of target, target, all these transporters, uh, this uh, metabolism of uh, these drugs, and also the cell-cell interaction, and also all other environmental factors, for example, microbiome. Then you can really understand how drug uh, uh, works and uh, how this uh, uh, drug resistance uh, emerges. So the basic idea is how a lot of human disease is not a single, uh, the small function of a single gene is a systematic problem. For this kind of problem, we need a system solution. Just like you want to have, a, if there's a traffic, right? When this traffic happens, if you look at each car, each bus, it's, uh, it's function, it's, it's okay, but it still can cause this traffic. So you fix any single car or a bus will not solve the problem. You need to think them as a system and have a system solution. So, uh, so then our idea is we need in order to have this effective and safe medicines for this uh, complex disease, we need to precisely modulate this human body as a whole, as our uh, approach. So actually, if you look at the history of drug discovered, uh, so uh, most of this kind of drugs is uh, is this kind of uh, system, uh, systems medicine, right? It's the target multiple target drugs. It's a, many times it's the drug combinations, and also it's directly testing human. Uh, goes through thousand years of this uh, clinical trial, and uh, also it's uh, personalized. And uh, in Chinese medicine, traditional medicine, right? It depends on your different uh, this uh, yin yang different peoples. They will adjust this dosage of a different component, right, to make it uh, personal. But, but uh, of course, we don't know how this drug works, was this uh, many times, was this uh, uh, effective component, integrate ingredient it is, right? We don't, uh, what was this, uh, why it work? Uh, some people have the response, some people don't have. Uh, so we need the modern techniques to understand, make rational design this kind of uh, systems medicine. So fortunately, now we have a uh, big opportunities to achieve this. So now we have a lot of uh, this uh, omics data, uh, especially based on this uh, perturbations, right? Kind of either from mechanicals or from a gene modification, for example, this CRISPRs. Uh, also, we have this uh, GWAS data. Uh, this, uh, we can see how this uh, nature mutations affect these phenotypes. Also, we have a powerful phenotype readout and uh, this uh, understand how system works, right? For example, it's a uh, single cell techniques. We need a uh, partial or temple. Uh, we know how this drug will interact with together and uh, did, uh, sorry, the cells interact uh, with each other. and uh, uh, how uh, uh, they have changed over time and uh, how they, uh, this uh, effect with, uh, interact with others in different uh, human, uh, this body, different parts, right? Oh, sorry, it lies parallel. 
and slide three. So, uh, so then we need the high this kind of models, right, to take these perturbations into this uh, 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 input and predict this uh, human response. The challenge here is a lot of these per perturbations uh, we cannot detect it in human. We cannot perform this kind of uh, high screening in a human body directly, right? We cannot perform this uh, gene editing in a human. We have to use a model system, animal cell lines, and uh, then we use this model system, try to use this model system to understand human behaviors. So uh, uh, in order to do this, slide 14, uh, we need to integrate all available data together, right? So because it's a human, uh, this kind of organization, all this uh, molecule is a genome transcriptome, uh, transcriptome and the protome, uh, metabromy is a, only give you part of this kind of uh, picture of human body in order to understand this whole picture of this uh, human bodies, you need to put all this uh, data together, right? To really understand how human work, uh, this uh, works, this human body works, how drug works. Slide 15. So in order to do this, uh, so uh, we believe this uh, computational modeling is uh, essential. There are several reasons. The first, uh, just as I mentioned before, we cannot screen compound in human directly, right? You have to measure this compound effect or genetic mutations effect, editing effect uh, in a model system. So we need to translate these findings in model system to humans. Uh, we, we have to create some modeling techniques. And also this omics data is highly complex. Uh, also, there's a lot of uh, uh, confounding factors. Its dimension is high. Uh, batch effect or some other effects make this uh, uh, really put this data together is where it's not uh, easy. So we need some computational techniques for dimension reduction. Uh, is uh, remove batch effect or some uh, other uh, confounding factor. Right? Uh, also, this uh, because it's a uh, historic region or technical limit limitations. Our understanding this biology is quite fast. For example, this uh, for human proteins around uh, twenty thousand genes, right, encoded as proteins, but only uh, at most five thousand this uh, genes uh, proteins have been studied. So remaining ones. People have a little touch on that due to various regions. So, uh, because funding or some other reasons, publications uh, is a very little likely, people will move to this remaining ones in a short time. So, uh, there's many types of this uh, uh, computational techniques. Now it's a slide 16. <coughs> Machine learning actually is uh, one of uh, very powerful techniques. So uh, the basic idea of machine learning is to like this machine to learn some rules from uh, data uh, observations. 
So this data could be labeled, unlabeled, and then this uh, this uh, machine learning model, this computer will try to find these patterns, uh, some rules in hidden in this data, right? Then give you this kind of models. And when you have a new data coming, uh, you can make new predictions. So uh, now uh, machine learning have many years, uh, but now it's the most popular, you will heard about this deep learning. So the first this uh, difference between deep learning and the classic machine learning is that uh, in classic machine learning, you want to build a model, you need to manually extract this uh, feature. Uh, but in deep learning, this uh, machine learning model will learn these features and extract this kind of features by itself. So for example, you want to recognize a car. Uh, in classic machine learning, you need to see whether or not, let's uh, give a picture, whether or not it has some uh, circles, uh, some shape, uh, then use this as a features predict. But uh, for deep learning, you only give a picture, you only need input as pixels uh, at this position, then it will extract this kind of features by itself. So uh, why is the deep learning is uh, powerful, uh, very useful for this uh, uh, biology? So uh, there's two things I believe. One is uh, to enable this end-to-end -end differential biology. Uh, it will be explicitly model this multi-level organization of biological systems. Uh, let me give an example. The second is could be in, integrate this uh, incoherent, this uh, heterogeneous data for in both labeled and unlabeled. It's imp very important for integrate this kind of uh, omics data. So uh, what's mean this end-to-end -end differential biology? Now it's uh, slide 19. So uh, give, use this uh, protein structure prediction as example, right? So given a protein three-dimensional structure, you can represent it as this kind of a 2D, two-dimensional distance metric, right? If it's close, it's uh, blue. If it's far, it's red, uh, right? So that's this. So uh, in conventional, this, uh, before this deep learning come out, uh, the techniques to predict protein, protein structure, I usually it's first step, you predict this distance matrix, then use this distance matrix, predict distance matrix to reconstruct structure. Okay, so this uh, doing this prediction, this uh, distance matrix, is you cannot change it. The end to end uh, this, uh, uh, deep learning, uh, for example, alpha four two, is uh, you can build this kind of uh, deep neural networks, right? This distance matrix to be just an uh, intermediate layer in your model. So you you directly optimize your three-dimensional structure. So this uh, distance matrix is to be changeable, right? Depends on uh, during your training. So let me list uh, we can use this deep, deep learning, we can perform this end to end. So let's uh, arrows in this uh, uh, distance matrix will not propagate it for your final structure prediction, make your model prediction is uh, more accurate. So, right, uh, so uh, this similar ideas uh, from alpha 4 to from sequence to structure actually can extend it 
from second structured function. Uh, also, you can model this uh, information flow right in biological system from uh, this uh, uh, replication to trans uh, this uh, uh, this uh, transcription translation to metabolic this uh, profiles to final phenotype. That will make model is more powerful and also this uh, nice way to integrate multiple omics data. That's 20. And uh, there's two other techniques also make deep learning is very useful for this uh, model biological system. One is uh, self-supervised learning. It means that you can form this supervised learning without any label data. Uh, one class, uh, one is typical example is uh, just mask a certain this uh, data, right? You make your data predicted. So for example, you want to predict this uh, uh, sequence, use the sequence pretty predicted structure. So you don't, for a lot of sequence, you don't have structure, right? You don't have any structure. So you can mask given protein sequence, you mask certain amino acid, and like ask the model predict uh, what's this uh, missing amino acid it is, then this model will train very well. Actually, uh, recent studies showed this uh, information trained by this model actually have this kind of structure information. If you see this uh, relationship between this pairs of residue, it uh, will uh, replicate this uh, structural information. Although it didn't use any uh, structure in, uh, to train these models. Another powerful techniques is uh, transfer language. So just to mention, one uh, big challenge, right, is translate this knowledge, then this model system in cell lines or this uh, uh, mouse to humans. So uh, deep learning have this kind of, uh, build a lot of this kind of tricks and techniques to enable this kind of transfer learning from uh, one data source to another data source or from one task to another task. So this also allow us to uh, uh, re reduce these dimensions. For example, in this step-stepwise learning, uh, this intermediate layer, you can basically will reduce these input dimensions. And uh, also in using transfer learning, you can remove this all confounding factors and batch effects and other bears in biological data. So it's 25. So uh, using so now uh, I will show several examples. Uh, we how can we apply this uh, deep learning to systems medicine? Slide twenty two. So here's example. We can build this end-to-end uh, -end learning system to predict drug phenotype effect is efficacy or toxicity. So our input is uh, give us a representation of this. Uh, uh, cell lines or animal models or patients. Uh, it could be this gene expression profile, gene gen genomics profile, proteomics profile, and also chemical structure, also dosage. And then we can perform this kind of end-to-end -end learning to predict this uh, gene, gene expression changes after this uh, drug activation and also protein uh, uh, expression changes. And uh, in, uh, uh, another way, another uh, output is the dose response cell variability. So combine this information, we can 
predict the side effect of toxicity and other clinical uh, this uh, uh, indication depends on your uh, task and the data. So uh, one example apply this pipeline is to try to de discover this uh, drug combinations could be treat drug resistance uh, uh, cancer, especially uh, pancreatic cancer. So like this, we can find the drug, can a uh, tumor is uh, not response to existing um, chemotherapy, immunotherapy, or target therapy. So we call this a uh, cow tumor is not responsible, and for this heart one is responsible. So uh, because here this this agent right, because cow tumor you cannot kill it directly, you cannot measure it by this uh, uh, IC fifty or this uh, other. Uh, this uh, clinical outcome, but uh, we just want to choose a, a state from one state to another state. So we can use our models to predict how this any drugs can change the state, cause this state change from cold to hot. And then after we found this kind of drug, we combine with existing uh, drugs that kill, can kill this heart tumor, right? We can use this tool as a drug combination. Actually, we have some more experimental validations to uh to show uh where this ideas could be work. Uh slide 23. Let's say another example. Uh actually let's call the AE paper. So let's uh, translate this uh, uh knowledge linked in cell lines to humans, right? So because we can uh, we cannot directly test this drug in human uh in human uh before we know whether or not it works. Uh of course we can trade Treat patient, maybe it's not work. If it's not work, it, that's a quite a uh, uh, cost. All right. So, but uh, we can easily pass this drug in cell lines based on this knowledge. We can see, uh, maybe we can predict whether or not this drug could be works in humans. So that's the <coughs> this idea. Uh, this models basically based on this transfer learning. So we can predict patients' response from cell lines. Uh, another example is discover this kind of multi-target drugs, actually drug repurposing for Alzheimer's disease. Uh, we use our model. Uh, we can predict uh, one PD inhibitor is for Alzheimer's uh, treatment uh, could be target multiple uh, this kinases, uh, especially the IROC1. And uh, then as, uh, we can see what this pathway changes in expression profiles. Uh, it's related to all this uh, uh, neural inflammation and some other pathways. <coughs> and this pathway is associated with AD. And uh, then we test this drug uh, in right brains and show it uh, uh, improve this uh, cognitive, cognitive functions. Also, pathology assays to show it uh, really reduce this beta amyloid, reduce this neural inflammation and also reduce this total or hallmarks of this AD. Okay, so uh, so far we have so several uh, uh, examples show this potential of this use of machine learning uh, for this uh, drug discovery. But uh, in many cases, actually uh, this AI have a big uh, challenge. It's not always works. So uh, one issue is uh, all this uh, machine learning model 
Uh, now it's uh, slide 26. Uh, it's a black box. So uh, we give an input, it will tell you output, right? Uh, but I don't tell you why uh, make these predictions. What is the underlying biological knowledge there? Another big problem is this, uh, we call it out of distribution. So this machine learning model only can observe, is observed in many cases, right? In, in this slide 27. So uh, if we observe data as in this, uh, all our this uh, uh, space, we have multiple chemicals, proteins, phenotype, that's a big space, but we only observed is a small cubic in this green ones. So we build this model, right? If we knew data as fall into this uh, around around this uh, green cubes, maybe we can make good predictions. But uh, if this data is fall outside this uh, cubes, uh, cubics, uh, we uh, we will most time actually we cannot make reliable prediction. So that's a big challenge in machine learning. Uh, actually, there's a from computer computer science side, there's many works try to address this. From another angle, so actually we can uh, not just purely rely on this machine learning, right? Uh, just purely rely on data you observe. You can use this system biology and biophysics to incorporate some of mechanism into your model. So then you will make make new predictions, not purely based on your observations, also based on some organism, uh, this uh, mechanism. So you can make uh, this more reliable prediction uh, for this uh, uh, out of distribution data. Slide 29. <coughs> uh, here is an example. So uh, we how to integrate this uh, uh, machine learning with this uh, system biology to make new predictions. So uh, here is an example. This uh, case is CTP inhibitors I mentioned before. Uh, this protein is uh, translate this uh, 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 SDL to LDL. So inhibit these proteins potentially could be increased HDL and lower HDL. But unfortunately, uh, this CTP inhibitors is uh, doesn't work uh, to reduce the risk of uh, heart disease actually is called deadly uh, uh, side effect of heart attack. So we want to know why this happens. So we build this uh, system uh, biological models, this organ model, uh, by integrate multiple omics data, especially its gene expression and metabolic network. So we can build this kind of uh, organ models then we can incorporate this uh, mutations uh, to see have some of this personalized model uh, based on depends on this different mutations. And then we use this to predict this uh, given as a CTP inhibitor, see which uh, proteins it will be interact except CTP, uh, CTP protein. Uh, any other off target is there. So uh, by combining all this organ model, uh, these mutations, uh, and also this drug targeting fraction, we can predict how these drugs affect this uh, blood pressure for individual patients based on this genetic profile. <clears throat> so uh, 
So here is a slice uh, 31. So uh, here's our primary result. Uh, we found this CTP uh, inhibitor is not just only uh, inhibit CTP itself, right? So have many objects. And then when we put this off targets into this uh, metabolic uh, models, and uh, we see uh, it indeed affect this uh, blood pressure. So uh, one finding is uh, if there's uh, some uh, deficient genes uh, for in this in this table, now it's a slide 32, uh, if, if you don't take this drug, it will not cause this uh, side effect, this uh, high blood pressure. And uh, if this gene is normal, uh, with the patient has normal genes, uh, even take drug or have the off-target effect, we are also not cause side, cause side effect. But uh, if this both of them exist, you take this drug, cause this off-target interaction, also have a deficient genes, it will cause side effect. So it means, uh, implies this drug to be rescued based on this patient profiles, right? We can see which patient could be safe for this drug, which patient could be dangerous. <laughs> so uh, here's summary of my talk, it's a 30, slide 33. Uh, <clears throat> we believe for many complex diseases, uh, there's one drug, one gene paradigm, um, which doesn't work, we need a new paradigm of this uh, systems medicine. Um, deep learning, this recent advance in deep learning could be a powerful tool to integrate multi-omic data and uh, also expertly model this uh, information flow in biological systems from DNA to final phenotype. And uh, deep learning itself, actually in many cases, could be uh, not sufficient because complexity of a human system. So we need to integrate this uh, machine learning with uh, biophysics and the system biology and uh, further boost its power. Finally, thank you very much for your attention. Yeah, thank you so much for this really wonderful talk uh, that you gave us to explain um, the technology and why, and, and then also your uh, results that you have um, by using this approach, um, which um, is, is, is really interesting. Um, so uh, yeah, I want to give everyone a chance to um, ask a question. So uh, feel free to raise your hand and um, post a question in the chat. Um, and uh, in the meantime, when while we're waiting, I'll um, I'll ask like a couple of questions um, myself. So this is such a interesting um, results you you um, got with with this approach, and was wondering if um, you know there's there's um, a lot of talk also about um, using this approach for rare disease where you kind of don't have really a, a treatment option. And um, do you think that this, you know, is really helpful for children or people with rare diseases? Yeah, definitely. So a lot of uh, rare disease actually is a mental, it's just a single mutation, right? 
So I think it's possible to use traditional approach to target it, but uh, depends on this uh, uh, this uh, muted genes. Maybe some of could be undruggable. That's another story. But if it's druggable, it could be uh, develop this kind of efficient drugs uh, based on uh, this uh, traditional approach of known as a uh, gene uh, CRISPR. It's uh, this uh, gene editing. So uh, actually, my what I'm talking about now is more uh, could be more useful for this system diseases. It could be not uh, often, but uh, this disease uh, uh, origin is not because of one single gene malfunction. It's multiple gene polygenic disease. Yes, um, yeah, and th and that is I see that this is um much more complicated, uh, long term and especially important for pre prevention of maybe the disease to become really deteriorating. So um, do you do so? You said we kind of and also the description that we have like abundance like we have a lot of data that we collect but do you think that you know everyone should collect data uh and um will that like how long is it away that basically if i you know let my dna um get screened um that you know i would get a profile that turns into like lifestyle and and maybe something i can take to prevent future disease um do you think we will have that available for large population soon or how long do you think we will need <laughs> yeah yeah actually yeah that's a good good great question so i think it's not uh, the most important it's not this uh, number how many number uh, how many patients Right, at uh, of individuals get uh, this kind of omics. It's a distribution. Is uh, uh make this less balanced. It's more important. So we need uh for every, for example, this uh gender uh races uh uh this uh, uh race and uh, all all kind of different group of patients need get this some sample. So not just uh, this uh, total number. Is um this a uh, even distribution is more important. If you have even distribution, you don't need to have a very large. So um, do you think? Yeah, that's that's interesting that you have like a distribution of you know, probably a most diverse population data also uh, possible. So do you think that will be one day part of a general? data collection like from doctors during a regular visit that you know everyone gets their dna screened like is there a push for that from you know researchers like you and also maybe nih or so uh, do you think that this will be available soon for a lot of people this uh i because i don't I put my life only to this kind of my algorithm development with never collected by ourselves. But my understanding is uh, 
with that uh, depends on uh, based on I'm talking with other person. It's not just uh, the scientific issue many times. It's more has a uh, ethic, this policy, all this kind of privacy, all this kind of issue make this patient data collection and sharing is uh, have a lot of challenges. So yeah, there's definitely this. Uh, uh, hopefully we can make them. Uh, we can collect them and make them available, but things uh, still have a lot of barriers. Yes, I, I understand. And then, do you also um collect um epigenetic data like gene expression data, or is that for now like a complexity level that would be you know too far out right now because you know over and then you would need to keep collecting it over a lifespan right because the gene expression profile changes during aging so so yep thank you yeah i think this uh uh NIH, yes it indeed has a big effort for this they have a elite project it's try to collect data for this uh, aging population and see how this uh, mechanisms of aging collect multi-omics data. So, but data have not available yet. Uh, I was told they will be available up two years. So hopefully, yeah, at that time, we could have this kind of data. Well, interesting um, that um, this will also be available soon, hopefully. So um, that's really promising and um, do you see, um, do you expect that um, a lot of treatments that we, that are established right now um, will change like um, based on your results that um, we will basically change our treatment approach significantly because it's, it's um, you know, more personalized and Precise yeah, yeah, think, data. Yeah, yeah now we're still in the early stage. So uh, actually, this AI model applied to clinical is really help doctors the prescription medicine still not there. So the main hurdle is we need to make them uh, uh, explainable and uh, have some uh, trustfulness, right? See what's your prediction. You cannot just see. Here, use this drug, not another drug. You tell Dr. Y. And also, what's this confidence? Uh, that's the one thing. Another, I think, is related to the regulation, right? So, I don't know how far this kind of uh, AI models can be really used in clinical, but definitely uh, they'll be helpful, at least. Uh, so, we are now, what, what are we working on is try to use them in early drug discovery. So let's don't directly involve patients. Uh, hopefully they'll be more useful at least at this stage. Yes, I see. And um, would it be more like easier to get data from con like public health data or from countries where there's like a governmental um, health a system such as you know european countries because i know that a lot of public health 
uh, studies are use that data from um, you know Sweden and, and other countries because they um, have like one family doctor all the years and then the data is just more reliable is that also true for would that could that be possible also for your work or would there be restrictions um, from the funding yeah, perspective or yep yeah, there's a lot of uh, useful data. For example, this UK bail bank. Yeah, indeed, uh, they will be helpful. Uh, but uh, all this data actually consider drug development. It still have limitations. So uh, because they have some uh, clinical observations and genomics data, but uh, they there are not too many this kind of perturbation data. So for our model, really for drug discovery, we need participation data. Yeah, I see. Um, thank you for answering my question. And now I would like to pass on the mic to Dennis, Kyle, and Dr. Yan, who joined the stage. Uh, feel free to unmic. Uh, thank you. Doctor, thank you so much. This was a really interesting presentation. I learned a lot. I was curious. I had two questions. Um, what types of diseases will be the first to benefit from this specific research that you did? And what barriers exist to unlocking the full potential of um, your method and this, this realm of science in general? So uh, we mainly now work on this uh, uh, Alzheimer's disease and also this uh, several ca cancers that don't have targeted therapy. So hopefully we can develop new drugs for AD and several type of cancers. For example, uh, there's a triple negative breast cancer. So uh, yeah, of course I think this could have other disease could be benefit, but we have not touched on that. Uh, there's a challenge. So this uh, yeah, just a big challenge just from machine learning side, just mentioned this out of distribution prediction is really a problem, right? You want to, your data is uh, collected, quite usually it's best. In, uh, although we hope to have this kind of uh, even distributed data, it's a uh, diverse data, but most time uh, in reality it's best. But you want to make new predictions to unseen data that could be significantly different from your observed data. That's a challenge we try to address now. Yeah, that's always the question, isn't it? Here, here is expected, but here is actual, and the differences can be big. Um, in terms of triple negative breast cancer, just to deviate for a second, there was a paper um, in biomolecules in January 2020, which showed that uh, melatonin, which is bee venom essentially, was highly effective in triple negative breast cancer. I thought you might um, have known of that, or perhaps if you didn't, you might want to look at that for that very specific um, disease that we were talking about. Thank you so much for your time. Really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, thank you. Uh, Kyle, did you want to ask a question? Okay. So I've been um, a little bit Sorry, in a in a loud environment, um, but uh, I just 
I think your work is amazing. Um, you're really um, one of the first people that I've seen present on Clubhouse uh, about uh, medication treating the whole body as an ecosystem. And um, so I know that it's off topic because I, I want to dig more into your actual research, but I looked at it and using and utilizing deep learning and then also adding that added information um, that you talked about afterwards. Um, I, I took a liking to that and thought it was amazing. So outside of the drugs, I'm, I'm wondering with like, uh, say a microbiome sample, a DNA sample, um, some blood tests. And uh, I was wondering if your, like, your model for finding a good drug would also be a model for um, finding some, maybe some, some issues that people aren't getting diagnosed. Um, maybe it's hidden, hard to find, or um, just allowing them to know what to work on, I guess, in a... Um, naturopathic way in order to reach uh, a state and hold the state of homeostasis? Yeah, yeah. In principle, yeah, we can apply this uh, similar techniques to address your problem. Actually, one of my students is working on trying to find this kind of uh, difference, this uh, biomarkers for this microbiome biomarkers, uh, which were one will cause a certain disease. So, yeah, not just drugs. Wonderful. Thank you so much. It's been a great pleasure to listen to you. Thank you. As much as I possibly been able to. Believe me, I will, I will be listening to the recording. Thanks. Hey, Dr. Yang, uh, do you want to ask a question? Please go ahead. Hi, I just come out uh, traveling. That was a very lousy party there. Uh, so that's a very interesting talk, uh, Doctor. Thanks. Thank you. And if you have discovered the any new drug uh, for cancer, uh, which gene are are targeted? Uh, definitely interesting. Thank you. So uh, one drug. Uh, I think it's not really the power. Uh, we found, uh, we predict drug called dioxide. So, but later we tested in uh, this uh, cancer cell line works. Later, we, when we search literature, actually a doctor already proposed uh, this drug could be treated as a triple negative breast cancer. Although we don't know that we, before, uh, when we make these predictions. But although this uh, the his evidence is not quite strong, but at least we validate uh, his discovery. Uh, we also have a drug for this uh, 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 critique, uh, uh, this uh, another cancer. Uh, we forgot what's exactly the drug it is. Yeah, but uh, we uh, for this uh, we most of the. Uh, Discoveries is for AD. We already discovered six drugs. It uh, works in uh, right models. Uh, one is published. It's a uh, iPhoneDelast. Uh, I just mentioned in the uh, in in the slides. And also another five drugs have not published, but uh, all of them is so positive sign.
thank you so much um oh thanks yeah thank you so much hi serena um do you have a question please go ahead hello i just joined and i'm on the road so i'm gonna listen for a little longer sorry oh yeah no problem thank you for coming and um yeah i wanted to check with you dr lee um we've been going uh for an hour um you probably i don't know but you probably need to um, move on and uh, <laughs> go back to your uh, work so um, I wanted to give you an opportunity to um, say maybe you have time for one question or two or maybe you just have to leave we we understand thank I'm you yeah actually I, I do have a meeting uh, but it's fine uh, several minutes later it's okay yeah I can answer one more question no problem um, yeah, thank you. That's so generous of you. I think um, the the last question you would probably have is, um, what um, you know, you're right now. What you, if you can share a little bit, what you're working right now, and then the very near future, maybe if you want to, like, give us a a preview again. I know you mentioned um, uh, during the questions some of it but for the audience because we are really curious to follow your work thank you yeah sure no problem definitely yeah thank you yeah and um and thank you everyone for coming and asking great questions and um and yeah um it was a great pleasure having you here uh dr lee i hope you enjoyed it and maybe you come back uh, next year or so uh, with some updates about your research that would be also wonderful um, yeah, yeah. yeah wonderful uh, thank you so much and thank you everyone enjoy the rest of your week we have um, a talk again uh, next week uh, with uh, dr mizuno who will talk about um a new type of bacterium that organizes itself as a multicellular organism, which is really interesting because we're still trying to figure out how that happened during evolution from single cell organisms to multicell organisms. And um, it will be a really interesting talk. So if you like discussions like this, Feel free to come back and I hope I hear you all back again. And uh, yeah, thank you everyone. And a special thanks to you, Dr. Lee. This was such a wonderful presentation. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, I'll close the room in three, two, one. Bye everyone. Thank you. Bye.